All right, in today's episode, we're going to talk about the turtle in fifth gear. Let's go! Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey guys, how's it going? Russell Westcott here. Sure, hope you're having yourself a wonderful day. Now, the opening to today's podcast episode is taken from somebody I didn't create it. And I just want to be very, very clear of the concept and the title and the saying of the turtle in fifth gear came from a wonderful real estate investor out of Edmonton, Alberta, Mr. Terry Peranich. So that's 100% Terry's creation. And I just wanted to make sure that I put that out there because it's important guys that when you are sharing other people's work that you give the right accolades. You share where the source materials come from. Now, the challenging part is sometimes, you know, you not you can't remember where the source came from, but just be honest about it and tell that I don't know where the source came from. It's amazing on how many times that I hear people using a lot of some of my core teachings and core phrases and stuff like that. And, and you know what? It's probably been handed down from person to person to person. And lo and behold, you know, down the road, somebody else will use it, you know, 20 years later, if you will. Here's the cool thing is I'm always honored anytime I kind of hear somebody who's used a, a core reference. Now, but let's be honest, you know, are there any really new references? Like any original references, you know, you can probably trace most things back to a, to a Robert Kiyosaki or probably from there was traced back to, you know, everything probably circles back to Tony Robbins. <laughs> Let's be honest. Or even if you go back even further from that, everything would even go back to Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn and um, Ogmandinos of the world, things like that. So there's an awful lot of reusing, recycling keep the information and content going forward. Okay, so let's get after it. Um, I'm going to keep this one very tight in the beginning. Um, I'll also offer some insights at the end. But this one is from another podcast that I was interviewed on. This is Marcus Maloney. So Marcus, I just want to thank you. Hopefully you get a chance to listen to this episode. You were a fantastic host. You had some you know, sound effects and you did some very thoughtful, some very insightful questions. And you were just a, a wonderful, gracious host. No wonder you are having such great success with your podcast. And it's the We Love Equity Real Estate Show that I was a guest on that show. So here's the thing. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of context before we, we get into it. But in this one, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, like a typical format of a podcast. We talk about, you know, the backstory, your first deal, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned? You know, what are some of the, the three pillars of real estate? What are some of your core fundamentals? You know, a lot of the same question. But here's what I did on this one is I challenged myself to think of unique fresh answers. I always try to challenge the process of thinking about a different way to describe something, a different way to share the lesson, a different way to modulate my cadence, a different way to get excited in some parts, more energy in others, just a different way to keep the engagement 
going for a for number one for myself, but also for you, the listeners of my podcast, because I, I always like to get permission from the podcast host that I will share it on my podcast. And some of you may go, oh, God, is, is he going to talk about the cassette tape again? Is he going to talk about 12719 122nd Street and Calder, Edmonton, Alberta? Is he going to talk about the belt buckle and, you know, money is required to buy real estate, but it doesn't have to be your money, right? As a matter of fact, most of those I'm not going to talk about this time. But here's the thing. What I'm trying to do for you as my audience is I'm trying to model for you how to share a story, trying to model for you to engage a host, to engage an audience. And this is a completely new audience that this is going to be going out into. This is a a podcast out of the U.S. Probably many of you have never heard about the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, but it's some pretty big heavy hitters that were on that. And I asked Marcus at the end, I go, how did you find out about me? And he said, you know what? He has a team of people that they go out and they scour the interwebs and they type in some searches. And my name came up multiple, multiple times. So they reached out to see if I wanted to be a guest on there. So here's the message that I want to share with you guys is the more content you put out, the more things you put into the internet, the more YouTube videos you put out, the more podcasts you put out, the more blog posts, the more content you create over a body of work over a period of time, the more people will come to you, the more people will gravitate to you, the more opportunities that you will have about getting on more podcasts, getting on more interviews, the more you put out, the more people will be attracted. That's the point I'm trying to get to. And in this one, you know, we went into a lot of the usuals, but I think you'll thoroughly enjoy this conversation. I shared some stuff in this one that I haven't shared before, and you will get a fresh take in it. You'll get a fresh take on how to interact with someone maybe who you've never met. Like, to be honest, five minutes before we hit record was the first time I uh, had ever met Marcus, uh, Marcus Maloney. And that was the first time that we had a wonderful conversation. I shared with him my core values, which you guys know what my core values are, inspire, encourage, and love. And I shared that vision of, of that with him. And then he shared with him and it was an instant connection from there. So how do you create that instant connection? So look at this from a standpoint of, now understand that I'd never met Marcus five minutes before we hit recording and how well we were able to have a wonderful connection to keep moving, to have this conversation move forward. And it's not like we'd been friends for a long time, for a long time. Okay, gang, with all that being said, let's just get after it. So please help me welcome Marcus Maloney. Hello, We Love Equity family. How are you guys doing today? On today, I have a very special guest that is from Canada. His name is Russell Westcott, and he's going to be talking about just getting into investments. He's going to be talking about single family rentals, and we'll dive into some other topics later on in the show. But I really want you guys to understand that not every investment have to be shiny, have to be moving. It doesn't have to be fix and flips, wholesales or anything like that. But the true wealth generation and wealth creator is residential rentals. That's what every transactional investor is really working their way up to because they want to be able to, like myself, and I'm I'm guilty, I want to be able to sit at home and have money coming in that I don't necessarily have to work for. So that's that passive investing. So we have Russell Westcott here today to talk about that and show you guys how you can do that, how you can get started. And it doesn't take a lot in order to do it. So Russell, welcome to the show. How are you? Ooh. 
Marcus, that was probably one of the best introductions. You put an entire podcast episode in a 47-second introduction there. There's so much to unpack <laughs> there. It's incredible. So first of all, I am doing fantastic. You know, I might have to pinch myself just to make sure that this isn't a dream someday. Every day above ground's a great day. And I've got all the cliches and all the memes for you guys if you want here today. But uh, I'm just honored. And thank you very much for having me as a guest on your podcast here, my friend. Well, welcome, 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 Russell. We really appreciate it. We really appreciate it. So tell me, give us a little background about who Russell Westcott is and why we should be listening to Russell. Well, obviously, if anyone's watching the video, I'm, you know, tall and flowing hair and handsome, devilishly handsome <laughs> gentleman here. And you know, obviously joking <laughs> with a lot of Obviously, that's not the case, Russell, right? <laughs> well, I, I make the joke because I have a face for podcasting. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm, I'm teasing all your audience that might be going, just where's the video? What is this guy? look like. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, go right on over to YouTube. You guys know where to find us. So before I dive into that question, so first of all, thank you. Um, I just wanted to just mm -hmm. acknowledge you, Marcus. I was diving in uh, to your podcast and listening to a whole bunch of episodes in preparation for this. You got some amazing heavy hitters. I was listening to the, the Bill Allen interview this morning and it was just phenomenal. And, you know, you're almost at a hundred episodes and you're doing a wonderful service for the community of real estate investors. And I just wanted to acknowledge you for all that hard work because coming from somebody who puts a podcast and YouTube and all the stuff together. I know how much work it's doing. And your team that's surrounding you is doing a heck of a job. They are very good at what they do. And you're well supported, my friend, by the way. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Russell. So how I answered that first question is, you know, I'm a humble Canadian. <laughs> I'm going to probably apologize an awful lot. And I might, uh, <laughs> I might say a, and uh, a lot of those things there that I might talk about hockey and I might talk about, uh, you know, wearing a toque and stuff like that. So, um, but if you okay. want, I, if you we want, I can, it. I can throw in some yous and y'alls if you want to just to, to, <laughs> to, to bridge the transition gap between Canada and the U S one of the things, one of the words that always get me with Canadians in U S is process versus what we say is process oh, so it is process <laughs> <laughs> see <laughs> well it's funny i actually have a note here is you know honor the process right see, see? <laughs> there the we lessons. go there we but, go <laughs> but if you want i can uh, i can change it to process if you want <laughs> speak freely russell you know how we do it here <laughs> yeah. well to simply answer your question simple real estate investor i live in the suburb of vancouver beautiful I always have to put the beautiful in front of it. Beautiful yep, Vancouver, yep. British Columbia, Canada. If for those of you, if you're not familiar with it, you probably will. Or think Seattle, think north of Seattle is is kind of yep. the geography. I originally was born in the prairies of Canada. Now think Montana, North Dakotas, if you will. And I had no experience in real estate whatsoever. I had nothing. Like I lived in a mobile home. Like I lived in a trailer mm. until I was probably about 13, 14 years and I didn't actually buy my first property, my first home until I was in my 30s. Um, I rented for many, many years and I had no inclination. I had nothing that would have suggested that real estate was going to be the path that I was going to go down. And, you know, if we want, we can unpack it a lot more. But since, you know, I'll cut the long story short is since that time that I got the bug bitten by real estate, I've 
been transacting over 100 properties over the course of, say, 20 years. I've written books. I've delivered over 1,100 public stage presentations. I deliver wow. podcasts. I inspire a, a group of leaders to become better leaders within the real estate community. And you know what? I, I just, I get up every day. It's not that it's easy to get up every day, but sometimes there's some ugly challenges that we have to deal with. But I, I love what I do. And I, I really like, I make no joke when I said I have to pinch myself some days that I, I have an opportunity to, to do what I do because it's something I love. And, and that's what everybody set out to do is to really wake up and be excited about your day and get out there and get started. Don't get me wrong. There's some days I want to pull that covers <laughs> over my head and I want to go, la, la, la. There's no pro- no problem. Nothing's going wrong. <laughs> and, it, and I'm sitting there I'm sitting there going, it's, it's six o'clock in the morning. Well, is it too early to have a bourbon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was me yesterday. It was like everything that could go wrong did go wrong, but I made it through the day and it's another 24 hours. So right back at it, right? That's a blessing. It's a blessing. So tell us, Russell, you gave us gave us some background. You know, you you didn't start out, you know, knowing a lot about real estate investing and everything like that. What did you do before real estate investing? Well, Marcus, is there anything before real estate investing? Is it, you know, it's like before real estate investing, just that's like your old life when you had to let go of who you were in order to become the new person, if you will. Um, But yeah, I graduated from university with a marketing degree, a sales marketing general business from a Bachelor of Commerce from the University of Saskatchewan. I started, I had no idea what I wanted to do and what I wanted to do, but one of my guidance counselors or one of my professors said, one of the best skills, if you don't know what to do after university, one of the best skills you could learn and best companies you can get into would be a, a company with the sales and marketing side. Mm-hmm. Like a, take a sales rep job. That's yep. usually the entry level position in. You can work your way up as a sale, get the skill set of being able to be able to sell, and then you can slowly work your way into marketing from there. So I started with um, Kraft Foods right out of university. And uh, from there, it just one job after another. And then eventually, I got the real estate bug um, at the turn of the century. Yeah. Funny way of saying it was right around the year 2000. Yep. <laughs> <Right>? Yep. <laughs> and then in, in the same time frame too, is I had a couple different jobs all around sales and marketing with craft foods, a couple different things. I tried my hand for three years at professional golf. Uh, wow. I realized I wasn't very good and still not good today. And I really went broke doing it full time for three years playing golf and then had to go back and get a job. And then right around the year 2000, was uh, when I had th- that moment. Most people have that moment where you sit there going, you know, Peter Pan needs to grow up, right? Mm-hmm. The Peter Pan mm-hmm. syndrome needs to kick in. And, you know, I'm turning 30. I'm having a milestone birthday of 30. And and I'm going, what the heck am I going to do with my What am life? I doing? What am yeah. I doing here? I'm, I'm climbing a ladder. It might be leaned up against the wrong wall. You know, I like what I do. Every day I make the best of it, but it, it's just, what's my purpose? And I was really struggling. And like any 30-year-old male, you know, what do you do and who do you turn to for answers? Well, obviously, you turn to Oprah, right? <laughs> and, and I believe it was right around April of 2000 that uh, Robert Kiyosaki was on Oprah. Okay. And Robert Ki- it was the first time I've ever heard of this term called passive income, cash flow zone, uh, cash flow quadrant, then learned mm-hmm. about rich dad, poor dad, dove into that thing. And it was the first time I really got exposed into real estate, which led into an entire journey in and of itself. And right. real estate just kind of resonated with me because it, it, it fit a little bit more with my personality of, and I, I coined the term, or sorry, I'm going to make sure I 
get this correct. A mentor of mine, early mentor of mine, coined a term called the turtle in fifth gear, meaning that you're a turtle and you're taking, you're slowly progressing every single day, but you're progressing at the fastest pace possible. And that's why I liked real estate was because it really was a long-term game. It was a, it didn't move as fast as stocks. It didn't move as all this kind of stuff. I could actually take my time. I could learn. I could breathe. I could, I could really crush it. And, and I liked the aspect of the people. I liked the aspect of providing a service for people's homes. I liked the aspect of going into a home and, you know, potentially redesigning it and all those kind yep. of things. So, so that's kind of the, the long and the short of it is I started, I think I transacted my first place in 2002. And then I went on a five-year tear where I brought a property a month for five years. So, so let's, let's kind of, cause I don't want to gloss over that. First of all, great, great words of wisdom from your counselor and your professor telling you, you know, go and learn sales skills sell, sell, sell. because you're selling every day. If it's not, you're selling yourself, selling your position, you're selling your ideas, you know, even with between me and my wife, it's we get up in the morning. Okay. Who's taking the kids to school. I have to make my position known that, Hey, I don't want to take them. You take them. And how can I sell her on taking the kids to school? So it's very, very important. So guys, you all that's listening that really don't have any direction right now, Get with a company that has a great sales background and learn about sales, especially if you're looking to get into real estate. That's that's one asset to really have. I would profess it might be one of the most important assets, to be honest. Yep. So you're 30 years old. You're in corporate oh, America. Wow, I'm you're... only 30 years old now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. We're going back in time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're going back in time, Russ. We've got the DeLorean and the flux capacitor. And we're, we're Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd are with us. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. Got back, it. <laughs> back to the future. Got it. <laughs> So look at listen to you. You got all the references there. Good the DeLorean, <laughs> Canadian car, Michael J. Fox, Canadian yep, actor. Yep, Mike, yep yeah. got it. Got <laughs> it. So we're going back to the future. You're around 30 years old. You're trying to figure things out. You don't know exactly what direction you want to go into. You heard Robert Kiyosaki. What did he say that really kind of pricked your spirit or kind of said, gave you that Oprah reference, that aha moment to say, this is something that I'm really intrigued about. Yep. Well, like any good salesman or any good marketing message, Robert Kiyosaki essentially sold millions of people on the dream. The dream of getting passive income, the dream of having your assets create income, and then you can get out of the rat race. So in essence, you know, I bought in hook, line, and sinker at that time, to be honest. And I would, I would bet... If you actually go back to most people's inception moment to a lot of these things, I bet most people can attribute it back to rich dad, poor dad in some way, shape or form, or even go further back, depending on age. Typically, think and grow rich was one of those pivotal ones. And I, I would profess that rich dad, poor dad was another one of those inception moments for many people's careers to just relook at things differently, to basically have work hard to acquire assets build businesses, have those businesses invest in real estate, have your real estate generate income that can help you be able to, and if you want your income outpaces your expenses, you're potentially out of the, you never have to work a day in your life, yeah. right? So so I was a good student, obviously, you know, for learning Absolutely. all those things all those years ago. <laughs> and it just, he sold the dream and I bought in on it. And uh, I've been trying to fulfill upon that dream every day is really my goal. Okay. So once you said, this is what I want to do, how did you, 
acquire that first property, that first asset? What did you, first off, how did you find it? Where did you get the finance? Here's the thing. So I, I saw that, got inspired. And now we're talking 2000, like the year 2000, 2001 mm-hmm. at the latest. And um, I got, uh, you know, this was, I'm going to really, we're going to start really dating ourselves here, Marcus. I okay. can see there's a few, yep. there's a few ash blonde highlights in your hair too. So yeah, you're, you're, yeah, of, yeah. you're of a similar vintage <laughs> than I am. Yep. Year 2000 is almost pre-internet in many respects, but there was an internet at the time. So I Googled rich dad, poor dad, and found that, read a whole bunch of Dolph DeRue's books and read all the, all the series of rich dad, poor dad. And then there was a person up in Canada that was putting on some seminars. He was classifying himself as the Canadian rich dad, and he was having a conference in Burnaby, British Columbia. And I said, well, what the heck? Let's go to that conference. And at that Mm -hmm. conference is when I first ran into one of my earliest mentors, uh, Mr. Don Campbell, who in Canadian circles is one of the OGs of real estate investing education and probably has trained more real estate investors in the country than most anybody else. And so I met him at that time, and I won a little negotiating sales contest to get a a report about the top investment towns to invest in, in Canada. And I, you know, used my sales skills and negotiation on the table. There was only like two reports, a table of eight people. And I used my skills and negotiation. I maybe even probably, if I remember correctly, I probably just took it. But but anyways, (laughs) um, in this report, it talked about the best places to invest, and they were ranked one to ten. And I said, well, what the heck? If I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm investing. Well, just pick a number one, right? Pick number yeah. one on the list. And number one on the list was a town, a city in Canada called Edmonton, Alberta. And for many of the Americans, Alberta is, let's call it the Texas of Canada, is what you would probably the best way to describe Alberta. So, but lo and behold, interesting to note is the week after that conference, I was scheduled to go out to Edmonton on a sales conference. And at that time, I found a, a realtor, a real estate agent. Um, I connected with them and we met at um, a restaurant called Joey's on Joey's on Jasper. And uh, that was the start of things. And and that business okay. relationship, that first person I met is probably is still my best friend to date. I've never met him before. He's a business partner in this business with me. And, and from there, that's what I bought my first place from that first encounter. And then that's what led into a, a journey of learning how to buy multiple, multiple properties. Okay. So wait, wait. Wait, wait. So going back, you said something. So one of the things was it wasn't some creative method that you came up with. You just said, hey, all of the market data show that Edmonton is the great place to invest. So you said, okay, I got that. Next thing was, okay, well, let me find a realtor that works that area. Boom, I got that. So it wasn't something very, very creative, something mind-boggling that you did. You just followed a normal course, a normal path, but it led you into the real estate industry and becoming wealthy because of that. And then also you said your realtor, you guys still never met? We'd never met before that first meeting, uh, first dinner that we had. And since then we've become best friends. There you go. So guys, you see, it's, it's very simple. Don't put up these imaginary roadblocks and say, well, I don't know where to go. I don't know where to invest. I don't know people in that area. Back then in 2000, it was, it was a little bit more challenging to find the resources that you need than it is now. I mean, we have, you know, internet, which is very, very user-friendly now. Back then it wasn't, it would take you 15 minutes just to get four page to load up. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, I actually, you know, 
you said a mouthful there of one thing I just want to, I want to build off of a little bit. And that's, um, you know, back then we didn't have the internet. We didn't have the proliferation of content and information that we do Mm -hmm. today. And I was actually very glad that I didn't. I only, it was really, truly, it was one path. I make the joke all the time is why do I love going to shop at Costco is because when you walk in the door and you're standing at the shelf, you have two choices, the big one or the little one, pick one. If there were 17,000 yep. choices of SKUs on there, you would be paralyzed in, in decision and paralyzed in paralysis by analysis, if you will. So in some cases, having all this information is fantastic. But at the same time, if you actually don't do anything with it, there might be too much and it might get overwhelming. Back when I got started, there was truly only one option. And that was, you know, at the the club that I joined at that time, they met once a month. There was really only one option to go through. There was no such thing as podcasts. YouTube was still mm-hmm. fairly small, a lot of this kind of stuff. There was no options. And I actually attribute that to probably why I succeeded was because I didn't get the shiny object syndrome and I didn't spray all over the place trying to do mm-hmm. 10,000 other things. I picked one strategy and I just made a point of eliminating all the obstacles for that one strategy and then I just kept moving forward with velocity and taking action by learning, by doing. Very good. Very well put. You just simplified everything, especially for beginners. You know, don't get trapped into 50 million different techniques and strategies. Find one, pick that one, focus on that one and dig deep versus, you know, spreading yourself too wide. So very, very well put. Russell. Now, no, don't get me wrong. I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm picking that one and I've pivoted my strategy over the years, but I've kept a fairly tight tolerance and a tight standard and a tight focus, but I have pivoted the types of assets that I do acquire. And that's, you know, I think I've earned that right over time and wisdom and gray hairs. And I had a full head of hair one time, you know, there used to be lots of, <laughs> lots of waves flowing and now there's nothing uh-huh. but nothing but beaches, right? Gotcha. Oh, hang gotcha. on. Isn't there, don't you have a, a rim shot, the sound effect there? <laughs> that's a, that, Marcus, that's all I got for jokes, by the way. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Self-deprecating humor is probably the best way, right? Let me ask this. So you found this realtor and they, the realtor, he or she was sending you opportunities. Where did you come up with the financing and the capital? Because you didn't live in Edmonton. You lived elsewhere. And it was like, okay, well, how am I going to learn about this market? How am I knowing that I'm making the right decision? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. And, and um, you just actually just hit the nail on the head about something that I've been studying and trying to master and perfect for a better part of 20 years, and I'm still learning every single day, is at the time I did not have the capital. I actually had a good job, and I had in Canada, we call them T4s. In the States, you call them W2s, I believe. W2s. W2s. Um, I had a good T4 statement, which said I made good income and I could qualify for a mortgage, but I had no money. I was living in a basement suite renting, okay? So I didn't have the down payment. So I actually had to learn the art and the skill of being able to raise capital from other people. And in and of itself, that is an entire other podcast, but I've transacted essentially my entire portfolio using other people's capital. I have then perfected the process for myself by teaching others and sharing it with others. Oh, don't go there. You know, you want to say process. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) 
You caught me already. I'm I'm trying to channel. See, I, I wore my Aloha shirt today, so I'm trying to channel my you know south of the south of the 49 parallel, if you will. Right. Sorry, just, I didn't mean to stop yeah. you. Go ahead, Russell. And so it just took the time to just uh, learn how to raise capital from others. I've written books on it. I've taught you know thousands, if not tens of thousands, of people the way of doing that, as opposed okay. to the same process. <laughs> okay. So because I didn't intend to go down this road, but it's, this is very good, especially for people, like you said, that are younger, don't have the confidence and don't have the capital starting raising that capital. What did you do? Because you were young, you were just getting started. Yes, you had great T4, W2 income, but you didn't have that down payment. How did you pitch to that person yeah. to give you the money for the well, down payment? The first person that uh, ended up working with me was a coworker, somebody who I worked with, and he was my hiking friend. He was my hiking buddy. So we had multiple, every weekend we would go out and do four or five hour hikes at the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once... I started getting bit by the real estate bug. Every weekend I would go out and, you know, I would share with him, let's call him Tom. And yep. I would say, Tom, I'm just learned this. And did you learn know about this? And I'm doing this and I've learned this about this market and I've learned this strategy. And I met this guy that's bought 300 places and I was just on fire. Like I was just lit up. I was yep. like Lewis lit from suits. I was lit up. Right. <laughs> and he saw that and he goes, he goes, holy moly, Russ. He goes, you've changed. There's there's something, there's something here. And he just fed off of the energy. He fed off the passion. He fed off this inferno that was building inside me. And at the same time, Tom had had a track record where he bought a couple properties. He, right out okay. of high school, he bought a place. He put in roommates, some people he worked with. He bought, sold a couple places. He made a few hundred thousand dollars on some transactions along the way. So he had a track record of, he goes, yeah, I love real estate. And, and then I showed him, here's the property I'm analyzing in Edmonton. I didn't have the money to buy it. And he goes, $90,000, that's it? <laughs> and mm -hmm. I said, yeah, would you want to work together on this? And that was as simple as it was. It was just, I just, he fell in love with the vision, the passion, the enthusiasm. He knew who I was. He trusted me to make sure I was going to do whatever it would take willingly you know, ethically and legally to make it work. Yep. And um, we partnered together on that first transaction. And from there, that parlayed into a few more and parlayed into then having conversations with the bank of mom and dad, which then parlayed into conversations with friends of the first person, which parlayed into meeting mm -hmm. another people. And lo and behold, over a course of time, I kept perfecting the message, kept perfecting the pitch, kept perfecting the desire to help others with their investment portfolio, the desire to help others get a better return than they were in their own financial assets right now. And if you provide a value and a service and an inspiration and an encouragement to help others move forward, they'll want to partner and work alongside you on a project. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Ooh, I keep waiting for Pink Floyd's uh, money, money song to start coming in now. Huh? You should have to have that now, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to add that to the queue, right? <laughs> One of the things that you said there, Russell, that was that was very key. And one thing that I always tell people and that I always tell my students is you got to let people know exactly what you're doing. You know, you didn't know that just by having this conversation on your hike and everything like that with your good buddy that he was going to say, hey, let's partner on this together. You were just fired up about what you were doing and what you were learning and you was telling people you were you were spreading the gospel of real estate and people were like wow you know what russell is fired up about this 
You know, it seems like he's doing his due diligence. I know a little bit about real estate and I have some capital. Let's partner on this together. So we need man, to put a little amen at the end of that, eh? Uh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys have to get out there. Don't be embarrassed. Even if you're a newbie, tell people about what you're doing. If you're excited about real estate, get out there and share it, spread the gospel with everybody because you never know who you encounter will be one of your money partners. Yep. It's just, a, you know, to steal a Gary Vaynerchuk, a Gary V term, it's just you're documenting and sharing your journey. And, and essentially, yep. but make sure you share it with enthusiasm. And, and I was, there was nothing, there was no sales pitch. There was nothing involved other than I was just, I was just fired up and I was so excited and lit up about my learning and it was something new. And here's the thing that I actually have to remind myself 20 years into the business is I have to treat things with like a beginner's mindset every single day. Like, how do you do if you've done 100 transactions, how do you do your 101st transaction like it's your very first transaction ever? How do you keep that passion, that fire, that excitement, having that beginner's mindset on trying different things? is the, It's absolutely key. I'll give you a real-life example. Yesterday, trying things new for the first time, <sighs> 20 years in this business, I actually did my first TikTok yesterday. I put my first All TikTok right. on, first ever. <laughs> <laughs> right? And, and I, I'm sitting here with my big fat thumbs trying to figure this out. And so I need, obviously I, I needed a good coach. So I asked my 18 year old daughter to help yep. me with that. And she's, she's going, Russell, what are you doing? And I go, I'm trying to do a TikTok. She's laughing at me. <laughs> and after it was done, she goes, she just, I heard the eye roll. She was rolling her eyes. And then at the end she goes, Russ, just put lots of, put lots of hashtags. <laughs> Yeah, I, I still utilize my 13-year-old for some of our social media stuff because I'm like, hey, you know what? I don't have time to learn all of this. You already know it. You're a master at it. Just help dad out. Help yeah, exactly. me out. <laughs> or just, just do it. <laughs> or just do it. Yeah, make exactly. Me look, make me look good. Make me look as, as popular as Taylor Swift. And then, oh, man, you just saw the eye roll I got from that one. <laughs> she goes, Russell, yeah, I'm not a miracle worker. <laughs> not a miracle worker, huh? So tell me about this first deal, Russell. So now you got the capital to do it. Um, you have the real estate agent in place that's sending you deals. You're analyzing this deal. What specifically were you looking for? Yep. So as a newbie coming in and they want to get into buying their first rental property, what were you looking for and analyzing back then? Yeah. So I'm going to really be, we're going to geek out here for a second. 12719 122nd Avenue in Edmonton, Alberta, the Calder neighborhood. You always remember your first, always. Yep. Technical term, it was an up-down suited house. It had a suite, a lower suite, an upper suite on it. And I just kind of analyzed it based upon some cash flow numbers, I'm trying to figure it out. But at that time, remember Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Dolph DeRuz, one of the things they were talking about is find a place that doesn't have a, a garage on it and then add value to it by building a garage on it. So this mm -hmm. place had this up-down suited house and had a space in the back that had no garage garage on it. So I was going to buy it and then put a garage on it and raise the value. The one thing all those books left out about it was that you actually have to own the place and you actually actually have tenants and you have to actually manage the tenants and the tenants actually have to pay rent and, and the tenants don't die on you, which I had on my first property. The tenant in the basement passed away on me. And uh, it was just one of those experiences over the first year of doing it. And I was just like, holy moly, this is more difficult. What, what chapter in the book did it say that the tenants are going right. to die on you? Right. right. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so after about a year of owning that first place, I said, you know what, this isn't the property for me. I turned around and sold it. I lost about 700 bucks on the whole process. And I figured, you know what, I made all these mistakes. I made literally every mistake in the book of doing my first transaction. I bought it, qualified for financing, raised the capital from somebody else, owned it for a while, bad management at the time, sold it and lost after tax right off. Let's call it 500 bucks. That was mm -hmm. probably the best 500 bucks of education that I ever could spend. People go, well, that was a really bad property. I, actually, it's probably my best property because it got me to take action. And I realized if all I did everything wrong and I still paid the tuition of 500 bucks, all I have to do is one more thing right on the next transaction and we'll just keep moving forward. You'll okay. Be profitable. Yep. Yeah. And lo and behold, from there, it just part, it just kept growing. Remember, turtle in fifth gear just kept growing and I look at it every day of what I need to do. And I've actually repositioned the turtle in fifth gear a little bit after reading some Simon Sinek work. And I'm looking at it as now the infinite game where, where, okay. where how do you, you know, not just legacy, but then how do you then put something out that lasts even beyond the legacy on the infinite side of thing, not just the long-term side of things. Okay. Man, that's that's great. Sorry, I didn't mean to get really deep on you there. For <laughs> no, no, that's great. Because a lot of people, they look at that. They look at, well, what can I do to build wealth for myself and maybe my kids? But when you're looking at it long term for generations down the line, there's specific things that you need to do in order to make those things happen. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that I would imagine you're trying to accomplish with your podcast and all the content you're putting out. These digital things now can last forever. And, yep. and that's one of the things that I've been doing with the content I'm trying to create has been, um, I've had more than 20 years experience. I've been blessed by some of the most influential real estate people out there, the Ron Legrands of the world, people like that, who I've, I know mm -hmm. very, very well. And now, because I've been so blessed, I need to become a blessing for the next generation of that. And that's what I'm trying to look at is all my content I'm creating is now legacy pieces to inspire a new generation of Marcuses, a new generation of Russells to come into it. And I'm not afraid to share all the bad steps and the mistakes and the landmines and all the problems that I faced and the struggles and the, you know, the mental illnesses and the depressions and, and all this kind of stuff. I'm not afraid to share that because because that's the real story. Most people don't share the struggle and the dark side of it. They all share about how much and how rich you're going to get and how much money you're going to make and you're going to leave your job. But nobody shares the challenge and the struggle and sitting there and looking at your, your lovely wife going, holy moly, I don't know how we're going to make mortgage payment next month. This renovation project is going so over. I don't know where the money's going to come from to do this. Like There can be a really dark side this. And if people are not prepared for the dark side, I fear some people could get really wiped out quite quickly uh, on this if you're not prepared for it. Ask millions of real estate investors in 2008 down down south. Yep. Yeah, and and it's great to always be an optimistic, but at the same time you have to do your due diligence people in order to know, okay, what are the downsides here? And if my downside is me losing 500 bucks, but I get this great education and I learn these different processes and systems, then, hey, that 500 bucks is the best $500 investment there is out there. Now, 
going forward, I know if I just tweak one little thing, I can be profitable. And then after that, if I tweak one more thing, you know, I can really start generating some income and some wealth. So we don't have to have those tough conversations with the family and say, yeah, no, we can't do a vacation this year. Or yeah, babe, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Babe. I don't know how I'm going to pay the mortgage this month. You know, we need help. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's very, very true. And things we have to consider. Yeah. And that's what I, I tell a lot of my coaching clients and people I work with is don't ever fear the mistake. Actually, the mistakes will be better teachers than probably the wins. For example, how you handle the $500 mistake will directly impact how you handle the $5,000 mistake, handle the $50,000, handle the $5 million, $50 million mistake. So if you haven't learned the lesson from the one before, you're going to have to repeat the same lesson, but the stakes get higher each mistake that you make down the road and keep and make sure that you keep moving forward with it. And the other thing I share with people is just, just be aware that just like real estate markets, they're cycles. There truly yeah. are cycles. Ups, downs, flats, skyrocketing ups, skyrocketing down, flat as the pancake, right? There is cycles in real estate. There are also cycles within yourself, meaning there'll be times where you will, you need to fall back in love again with your portfolio. You need to, you'll be extremely high at one time when you're in flow and you're in momentum, or you may actually be down and depressed and you can't get out of bed on certain things. So just understand that there are cycles in real estate and there's also cycles for you as a real estate investor at the same time and just be very well, just be aware of them. Mm -hmm. And you have to, like you said, be aware of those cycles and it's okay. You know, when you have those down seasons, you know, and you're, you know, crying and you're, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, it's okay to go through that for a brief moment. And then you have to pick yourself up and say, okay, I got out of that. You know, I made the mistake. I lost five grand. I lost 50 grand. How can I recoup, pick myself back up and jump right back into the game? Yeah. And that comes 100% down to the environment and the people you mm-hmm. surround yourself with, the uh, your immediate circle of trusted confidence and coaches and mentors and people that you have a safe place that you can share with that, but also at the same time that they have empathy and they can actually help you get past that to keep moving forward. Action and motion cure all. There you go. There you go. One of the things that you said, Russell, that I didn't touch on, but I think it was so great what she had said about when you were raising capital is what you would do is it was no pitch. You know, you didn't come in with a prescripted pitch or anything like that. You said, hey, look, this is the deal that I'm looking at. This is what we're trying to do. And then you would make that one offer. And then from there, you would learn to get better at it. So just real quick, what were some of the things that you would do when you would have those conversations with people that you were trying to raise money from? And let's just say if it's, you know, a trusted confidant that you've been knowing for, you know, two or three years and you don't want to sound pitchy. You don't want to say, Hey, look, I want to raise money for this, but you know that it's a great deal and they would, that you would benefit them. 
you know, if they invested with you. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's what I'll do is I'll, I'll give you, I, I always want to over, sorry, Marcus, is it okay if I over deliver for your audience? Is Absolutely. Okay? okay. Okay. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to offer your listeners and your audience a framework and then also a story as recent as yesterday in a conversation. So the framework is if anytime you're negotiating and having these conversations with potential money partners, there's only four variables that it comes down to. It comes down and each of the variables starts with the letter M. And I put did that purposely so I can remember. It's money, mortgage, management, mastery. Okay. So okay. who's bringing what? Who's bringing the money, the cash for down payments? Who's qualifying for the debt, which is the mortgages? Who's doing the day-to-day operations? And then the last one, who's the master? Who's the finder? Who's the expert in the transaction? Then what you do is between those four variables is how you can structure it. And then you always put the investor's interest in heart first. Okay. You always make sure that the investor wins first and then you participate in their win and you have a portion of their win, but they need to win first. Okay. So gotcha. here's the story. I was having a conversation with one of my clients last night and he took the, the four M's, the money, the mortgage, the management, and the mastery, built it into a, a little bit of a, here's a deal flow with some money partners. And he came out with a split and I think it was like 34, 66, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, he asked the question, goes, is this a good deal or a bad deal? And I said, I don't know. The only one way to find out is you have to you ask the other party if it works for them. Yep. Okay. But let me ask you a question. Are you okay with this? And he goes, well, and he goes, he goes, I don't know. I was actually just trying to come at it from a standpoint of what is their return? How are they going to get win from this? How would they win from it? And then, yeah, I guess at the end, I would get, you know, say 34% of this asset. And I said, you now have learned the lesson, young grasshopper, is because you came at it from what's in it for them first. You are making sure they will win. Then you're going to make the offer to them and you're okay with what you will get out of it. And you're going to participate in their winning. And whether they say yes or no is irrelevant. You learn the right lesson by being able to approach it from having them win, making them the offer, and you're okay with what you get out of it as well. There you go. And that's what I always tell people is find out what's missing in the marketplace. And that marketplace is your customer. Find out what they're missing and provide that. That's that's the only thing you have to do. Yep. And the best people at providing what's missing in the marketplace is those, those are the people that really, really have the contacts, the connections, the capital, and everything that, that they need in order to progress further in their career and in the industry. And again, that's by providing what someone else needs first. Yep. You're a service provider. And I actually like to take it a step further. I actually say is you're actually potentially a dream fulfiller for the other people. Yep. Meaning attach with your investment partner, let's say in seven years, they make $100,000 from a transaction. Okay. I get my investor to tell me, what would you do with a hundred thousand bucks if you made it in seven years from not having to really work that hard, really by just trusting me and I'll go do all the work for you. And you just put up the capital. What would you do with a hundred grand? And then they tell me, they will tell me what their dream. They might pay off a house, put the kids through school, buy a boat, buy the cabin, whatever. And then let's say they mm-hmm. buy in the cabin at the lake. And then I will sit there and go, so now what we're doing is we're investing in your cabin at the lake. We're not buying a piece of real estate. Right. I attach what the money means to them. And then now we have, we might even call the venture a Loon Lake Cabin Project, if you will. Right. And now we've Mm -hmm. attached the money they're going to make 
to a fulfillment of a dream that they have. And you, as the real estate expert, are the bridge for that dream for them. There you go. Wow. And I'm not selling anything. I'm just, I'm literally just providing them a plan and a path and a map. And by us working together, I'm going to help them bridge the gap to their dream. And that's powerful, Russell, because even naming a project, what their dream is, gives them significant buy-in. And it's not just, hey, this is a project where we're trying to make money, but this is, you know, like you said, a bridge to my dream. How can I get from here to where I want to be? So yeah. man, that's that's powerful and impactful. Yeah, it may sound really simplistic and really junior and stuff like that. It's, oh, you name the project. Guys, it is important that you name the project. And I'll give you a real life example. I was working with one of my clients and he wants to leave his job in the next little while. And he's got a little bit of golden handcuffs and we're working a plan out for him to help him leave his job. And we said, we got to give a project name for this. And so we came up with the name George, whatever. It was just weird. It was Project George, mm -hmm. right? But now George has a persona. George is, we keep talking about how is George come along? He goes, you know what? George is just about ready to be birthed. George is now a toddler and George, so now it has an energy about it, right? It's not just, right. I'm going to quit my job. No, well, it's George. We're going to nurture George. Yep. George pooped his pants last week. And now George is going to come back and think George is now going to school. George, you know, it's, it's fun. So guys, I'm a firm believer in naming your projects and having some energy around them, right? There you go. As you can tell me talking about George, I got all fired up about it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So Russell, let's take a brief break. Hear a word from our sponsors. When we come back, I want to talk with you about your three pillars of real estate and then talk about, you know, how you're managing these projects. So let's take a brief break. We'll hear a word from our sponsors and we'll come back with Russell Westcott. Hey everyone, sure hope you're enjoying today's episode. Just wanted to take a quick pause in today's show to share with you a real estate investing and financing tip that has helped many investors scale up their portfolio. Data-driven decisions and having a roadmap are two of the most important fundamentals for real estate investing success. When it comes to financing income properties, it is critical to take a strategic approach versus a traditional transactional approach to financing. A transactional approach is when your lender or broker just speaks to you about the deal at hand versus sitting down and helping you with your plans of financing and putting a roadmap together for your next properties. Do you have the critical answers to start, grow, and scale your portfolios? Answers to some key questions such as, where will the money come from to keep acquiring your properties? How do you structure your deal strategically while not painting yourself into a corner with future financing? And how to proactively manage your borrowing power? These are just a few of the key questions you need answers. If you're looking to grow your portfolio and you're looking to structure your financing strategically, I suggest you speak with one of the team members at Streetwise Mortgages. They have helped thousands of investors scale up their portfolios and also get into the game of real estate investing. The financing roadmap is complimentary for every client who works with Streetwise Mortgages. Best of all, on top of the financing roadmap, you'll receive a summary report on the top 18 Ontario markets. Plus, you'll receive a comprehensive deep dive research report on the market of your choice of the top 18. I'm currently looking at one of these reports right now and they are comprehensive and deep data-driven decision materials for you to make the right decision. I highly recommend you take a look at this if you are interested in starting, growing, and scaling your real estate investing portfolio. 
to book a planning session and develop your financing roadmap, email info at streetwisemortgages.com. That's info at streetwisemortgages.com. There'll also be a link in the show notes below. Now back to the show. All right, guys, we are back with Russell Westcott, full-time real estate investor based in the Northern country and uh, Canada. And he's talking with us about really just building that portfolio of rental properties, residential rentals in order to retire or do whatever you want to do in life. That way you can have that passive income. And he has these three pillars of real estate. So Russell, you want to introduce us to your three pillars of real estate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, But before we do that, quick little tip and factoid about Canada, if you're interested. Are you interested sure, in some Canadian sure. trivia? Now, I might get the number wrong a little bit, but I'm going to be pretty close. More than half of the Canadian population actually lives below the 49th parallel. Did you know that? No. And, and I think 80% of all of Canada's population lives within 100 kilometers or, or an, within an hour of the 49th parallel as well. So I guess we all just want to get as close as we can to the U.S. without going to the U.S. Going, I guess, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, but, but we're actually, I think we're opening the, finally opening the border here in the next little while. So Yeah, I know, because you guys, you guys have been having some stringent uh, criterias for opening up. So that, don't, that could be another conversation, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> um, okay, so the three pillars Pillars of real estate. I will give 100% credit to my business partner for this one, Mr. Jason Mattern. If Jason, if you're listening to this, it's 100% his creation. And it doesn't have to be, when it, when you're going to hear it, everybody's going to go, well, that's simple. Yeah. Simple mm-hmm. in concept, difficult to execute against. Okay. So yep. I'll tell, I'll tell the three, the three pillars are, and then I'll back up with the story and, and move forward. So the three pillars are what you buy, where you buy, and who you rent to. Okay. Those are the three pillars. What you buy, where you buy and who you rent to. And of those three pillars, the most important pillar is who you rent to. Okay. Very few real estate investors, and I talk conversations every single day with real estate investors, very few real estate investors can tell their tenant avatar and their tenant perform, uh, who their tenants are. They don't know nothing about their tenants, but they can tell every pro forma they read. They can they can tell all the numbers. But I say, okay, tell me about the tenants. What is their avatar? Well, I don't know. Somebody was going to pay me 2000 bucks. Well, that's a mm-hmm, terrible avatar. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you actually stop and think about who's going to rent the property, who's going to be the customer, and then you have a clear vision of exactly who's going to rent it. And then you think about that. Okay, now I'm going to design the property to fit that tenant profile and the area where that tenant will want to live. It's all about the experience for the tenant. It's about the experience of building the right house in the right inner area for the tenant demographic that you want. Now, I'll give you a real life example. So we were out designing some new suited homes for some clients out in, in one of our new subdivisions that we're, we're building homes. And we'd sit there and we'd go, okay, we would sit there on site. My business partner would sit there on site and we'd sit there and go, okay, there's going to be, you know, there'll be a car in the garage, a truck in the driveway, and the other side of the, the, the garage will have all the garbage cans and the junk. And the tenant in the lower suite is going to have to park over here. And that tenant, are they going to walk all the way around the front, around this fence, around this, to bring it in to walk to the back of the house? to then be able to take their groceries into the garage, into the back of the house where their mm-hmm. suite entrance was. And we're just saying that just makes no sense. 
So what we would then do is we redesigned the house design to have the parking pad off the garage in the back for the tenant and then built a walkway from the back alley right to the tenant's door. And the tenant would just pull their air, they'd walk straight in. And it was, you know, an ad additional, you know, $5,000 for some concrete, some walkways and stuff like that. But we designed the tenant experience first before we actually built the house. Right. And there's just multiple examples like that. Like, for example, we'd sit there when you're building the houses, you could sit there and go, well, let's move the garage in the back. We'll move it a little bit closer to the house because we can do it. And we will add uh, an apron, a larger apron in the back so they can park a car on the apron before the garage. Mm -hmm. So you just freed up two more parking spots and parking on those kind of properties is one of the biggest complaints that you have from tenants. This thing is parking, inconvenient Walking. If if tenants don't have a convenient thing to walk, they'll just walk across the grass or they'll do something and they'll kill yep. the grass. Right. So yep. just design the property for the tenant in mind in the right area. So that entire three pillars is is just a fresh, different way of looking at it, different way of looking at real estate, coming at it from a standpoint of the customer first and then working mm-hmm. backwards and reverse engineer the asset in the area to have a better experience. And that was one of the biggest lessons I wish I would have learned earlier. I really I just, I bought something because it was cheap and that was it. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that we talk about this, Russell, because I didn't know that these were your three pillars, honestly, what you buy, where you buy it and who you rent it to, because that's one of the things that I look for when we acquire an asset is who is the end product is going to be for. You know, and that way we can start building everything around that, because once you have a happy tenant and it goes back to customer service, once you have a happy tenant, you have less vacancy, less vacancy means more income. You have a happy customer, you know, so you have that less turnover. And that's one of the things that I always tell people is, like you said, who is this product going to be for? And you design it specifically for that person, but you have to know your tenant avatar. Yeah. And and let's just use it in real hard numbers here, if you will. Everybody has their own numbers of what it is, but let's just use an assumption that every tenant turnover will cost you 1500 to 2000 bucks, depending yeah. on if you're vacant for a month or two, it's be even more, right? Mm-hmm. So if you actually have a better tenant experience and you actually extend the tenants out there and let's say every year goes by, you save that extra 2000 bucks. Remember that example of that putting an extra $5,000 in some mm-hmm. concrete and walkways? Within two years, it pays for itself, and you're probably going to have a better tenant experience, and you'll actually get probably a better resale at the end, too, because you designed it with the customer in mind. And here's, if I really want to geek out, if you design it into the build process up front, 80% of it will be included in the mortgage, so you're only going to be on the hook for 20% of that five grand, which is what a thousand bucks. So essentially, it costs you a thousand dollars of capital to have a better tenant experience. There you go. There you go. So, guys, I hope you're ingesting all of this from Russell because he's given us quite a bit you to think about <laughs> and to ponder on today. I mean, no, it's 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 good stuff, you know, because a lot of people always talk about the quick, fast turnaround, but really all real estate investors, no matter what kind of investing that you're doing, normally they're investing so they can acquire residential rentals or commercial rentals for the passive income. I don't care if you're wholesaling, if you're a fix and flipper, normally once you get that money, you say, okay, where can I get a better return on this money? And it's usually in the passive income side. 
Yeah, there's a wonderful thing about, sorry if I'm going to reference another Canadian, but you guys will understand who he is. Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary. Yep, Kevin O'Leary. I heard a presentation he once said as he goes, guys, you're sorry if this is a little bit graphic or this is a little bit bold. He goes, every dollar you have is like a little soldier. And that little soldier's job is to go out and bring home more soldiers and conquer more soldiers and bring more soldiers home in the war of what you want to do. So your money and your capital doesn't care where you invest. They don't, it has no ego. What it just wants to do is it wants to work. So put it to work in projects that are going to work for you and they can actually start attracting more little little dollars and have and have little babies if you will. There you go. And it goes right back to Robert Kiyosaki is just making sure you have those those assets, more assets over liabilities and those little soldiers will work for you and bring back more soldiers. Yep. So Russell, let's put you on a hot seat, sir. We're going to put Russell on the hot seat, on the hot seat. So Russell, starting over what would you do differently? Uh, quality versus quantity. Um, remember when I shared my story at the very beginning, when I said I bought all those properties in a short period of time, they were all pretty poor quality and poor neighborhoods. I would have gone with more quality properties earlier in the process. Okay. And then what is one characteristic you believe every high producing investor should have? Well, outside of what we've already talked about, I'm going to mention public speaking, being able to stand in front of a group of people and deliver a vision and deliver a message to another person. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And can you give us a great book recommendation? And you can even reference your own book. Oh, I've man, I haven't read my own books in a while. So, but are you okay <laughs> if I del- give you three uh, recommendations? Because sure. I like to over deliver. Sure. Okay, so a couple, and these are just recent books that came into my life, and I'm gonna, I'll tell you what they are, but I'll also show it on camera. Um, Who Not okay. How, Dan Sullivan. Yep fantastic book. And I believe Dan and Benjamin Hardy are coming up with another book very shortly here. It changed a lot on how I looked at outsourcing to other people to do what they do best. And, you know, I'd put this way, I built my entire business that way. This took it to the next level. And then the next two are by the same author. So I guess it can count as one. And she's just out there right now crushing it. So it's very relevant. The one right now is The High Five Habit, Mel Robbins is her latest. And her first one was The Five Second Rule by Mel Robbins. Two two that probably not a lot of your listeners or your guests have probably talked about. Yeah, I'm unfamiliar. But these are fantastic. If you are, if you love good, authentic, vulnerable stories that teach a wonderful lesson, both of these books are fantastic. The Five Second Rule and The High Five Habit and Who Not How. Yep, yep. Dan Sullivan, who not how I'm definitely familiar with that. I'm looking actually at it in my uh, on my bookshelf there. Uh, great book, guys. If you haven't read it and you're starting out, read it. Yes, you want to learn the experience yourself, but once you got that baseline foundation, you want to find the people that can really do the work for you, so you can do other things, other high producing activities. Okay, so Russell. Man, it was great. I mean, I cannot say enough about all of the content that you gave us today and everything that you've provided today. So, in parting, before we leave, how can we find you? Where can we go? I know you're you're doing TikTok for sure. So you're out there. <laughs> so I know if uh, if I double, I'm gonna get a hundred percent growth on my subscribers from one to two. <laughs> 
Yep, yep. There <laughs> the first you go. one was the first one was my son, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so sim- the simplest way is you know the story I joke was that you know we spent tens of thousands of dollars and got the highest paid marketing consultants into a room and we went on a retreat to figure all this kind of stuff and they came up and said, "Let's use your name, Russell." So if you just Google my name, Russell Westcott, that's the name of the podcast. It's the name of the YouTube channel. It's the name of all the social handles. That's the name of my website. Just my name is the brand in essence. Okay. Okay. So guys go out there, find Russell, Russell Westcott. Yeah. And it's W-E-S-T-C-O-T-T. But here's, here's a trick. When you're starting to type in Russell Westcott, you'll come up with Russell and then W-E-S-T. It'll probably fill in with Russell Westbrook. That's not me. Mm-hmm. And you'll get the joke. When, you'll get the joke when you do see it, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I can, I, I can see the resemblance, yeah, but I can exactly. definitely see the difference also. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to siphon off some of his traffic to mine, I guess. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, Russell, in parting, what are some words of encouragement that you can tell some struggling investor that's trying to get started, that's trying to kick off their career? Well, here's the thing I'm going to offer, and this is something that I I work with a lot of my coaching clients as a foundation to start with. And one of the words that are going to attach here and I'm going to share with you is an alignment. Alignment from top to bottom. Alignment of your vision. Do you have your vision board? Do you have your vision of where you want to go? Are you then in alignment to your core values and do your core values support your vision? And then are you in alignment to your five, three, and one-year goals? Are they in alignment to your vision and your values? And then on a daily basis, are you doing five things every single day to have you in in alignment to your goals, your values, and your vision? And if you, over a course of 20 years... Do every single day to the best of your ability to do five things to help you move forward with your your alignment. In 20 years, lo and behold, you will become an overnight success. The key message in all of that is you have to do something with it. There you go. Take action. Russell, thank you so much. It was my pleasure to interview you. You made it so easy, so simplistic, but what you gave us, what you provided us was some actionable steps that we can take to really get out there and get started or redevelop, rebrand, or even, you know, reposition what we're currently doing. So I really uh, appreciate you being here, providing the content for the We Love Equity listeners and the We Love Equity family. So thank you once again. Thank you so much. Honored to serve my friend. Thank you. Thank you. So what did you think? Did you enjoy that episode? Did you maybe get a new way of uh, interacting, a new way to present your signature story? Did you maybe, first time this is maybe you've heard about the three pillars of real estate. Maybe you've just joined the podcast and you haven't heard about the three pillars of real estate. That's something that my business partner, Jason, and I have talked about multiple times, but maybe this was the first time that you've been introduced to it. Maybe you've you picked up from this as how to create an instant rapport with somebody who you haven't met. Now, guys, one of the things that I, I, I did in there was a fairly... Do I call it a formula? Formulaic? Yeah, I have a plan and I have a vision when I jump onto a podcast very quickly. One of the things I do always, which you will see very clearly I did here, was I led with gratitude. I will always 
compliment and show gratitude to the host and I will compliment something that they're doing. I will do my research on some of their guests. I will do my research on some of the vision that they have. I will try to help move them forward with things because one of my goals, and it's funny, at the end of the conversation when we turn the recording off, Marcus goes, holy moly, you made this really easy, Russell. That is just like, you're just such an easy guest to invite on. And I said, you know what? One of my intentions is when I am a guest on somebody else's podcast, is I want to make it a no-brainer and I want to make it so easy for them to invite me back again, to have a second conversation, to have a second conversation, to have a second episode on their podcast. And he says, well, yeah, man, I'd have you back in a heartbeat. As a matter of fact, I'd love to talk more about that raising capital thing that we started going down that path about. I'd like to learn more about that. Maybe I should have you on again. Hmm. Keep them wanting more. Make it easy for them to invite you back. Those are very core fundamentals and those are core intentions that I have every time I jump on another person's podcast. Make it easy for them to invite you back. Over deliver. Keep bringing the fire. Keep bringing the value. Keep bringing the enthusiasm. Keep bringing the excitement. Now, as you remember, guys, in the opening before I, we cut to Marcus and my conversation, conversation and the interview talked about how they found me. They found me by just doing a Google search on some keywords of real estate, real estate investing, real estate education, real estate books. They did some searching on that and my name kept coming up. That is what I want to leave with each and every one of you there is if you keep putting out the content, if you keep putting into the interwebs, your message. If you keep putting out some good search terms, some good videos, some good podcasts, some good content, people will start finding you. And that's what I'm trying to accomplish in the real estate leaders program that we're putting together is, and I know in, probably in some other episodes, I call it the influencers program. I think it's it's becoming bigger than that. It's when I'm starting to put together the curriculum and the content and the experts in it, it's becoming a leadership program for people that are interested in becoming leaders within the real estate space. It's for people that are maybe pretty dialed in on your strategy, but now what you want to do is you want to start inspiring a next generation. You want to start inspiring other people who want to become and step up and be known as a leader in the space of real estate, a leader, self-leader within yourself, a self-leader within your own business, a self-leader within your own investments. And if you master the leadership skills, you will attract people. And from those people that are attracted to you, investment partners will come, business partners will come, collaborations will come, opportunities will follow. Okay, gang? So more details still to come. Hopefully I haven't already released all these details for this program because I'm just um, not fully sure when I'm going to release this podcast, but it'll probably come out in sometime, I would imagine, in November, December of 2021. So if that's the case, we're probably entering into the holiday season upcoming. And guys, you know, until the next episode, you know, please share this. Please pay the fee you know, if you will. We don't charge anything for you to listen to this, but there is, you know, I like to say there is a fee. The fee is if you got some value from this, if you got some inspiration, if you got some encouragement, if you felt the love from this episode and you learned something and you may be looking at something a little bit different, share it. 
share it with somebody else, share it with another person. Maybe they're struggling. Maybe they just need a little bit of fire. Maybe they need a kick in the backside to just get over the hump. And maybe they're just looking at it as, oh, woe is me. I'm having trouble. I'm struggling. Send them my way. I'll get some fire lit under them. I'll light a firecracker for them if you will. Okay, gang, let's end it there. I got a lot more content to do. I got to jump onto a coaching call here right away. But remember, 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 in every interaction you have with another person, always, always, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now. Bye for now.